and starting at verse 25 it says and God made the beast of the earth after his kind and cattle after their kind and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind and God saw that it was good and God said let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. This is not my message, but that last verse is under great assault in our society today. Male and female created he them. And we're going to do some teaching on that in the month or two ahead from now. In Mark chapter 12 and verse 13 says, And they send unto him certain of the Pharisees and of the Herodians to catch him in his words. And when they were come, they say unto him, Master, we know that thou art true, and carest for no man, for thou regardest not the person of men, but teachest the way of God in truth. Generally, if they were addressing Jesus like that, they were up to something. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Shall we give or shall we not give? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said unto them, Why tempt ye me? Bring me a penny that I may see it. <coughs> Excuse me. And they brought it, and he saith unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? And they said unto him, Caesar's. And Jesus answering said unto them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at Him. Amen. With the help of the Lord this morning, I want to teach, preach about the image and the superscription. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your goodness. We thank You for Your wonderful presence. We thank You for the operation of the gifts of the Spirit. We know that we serve a living God. Lord, that You do the supernatural, Lord God, and the most supernatural thing. Lord God, that you do amongst us is to transform us, Lord God, and that's why we're here. We ask you, Lord, that your word would speak to us, that it would encourage and challenge and strengthen us today, we pray. I ask you to touch my body, touch my throat, Lord, anoint me to preach your word today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Of all the wonders of the creation week in Genesis... Only one creature was made in the image of God. Uh, nature is magnificent enough all by itself to point to a creator. Romans 1 lets us know that, to declare that the earth and all that is in it, that is on it and around it, points to a designer. Uh, nature itself just declares that God is awesome, and it, it really, without being unkind, it takes some hardcore brainwashing to think otherwise. But Adam and Eve were not simply created as signposts to the majesty of God, but as His actual image creature. And there are some different opinions about exactly what that means when it describes them as His image. Some suggest that Adam looked like Jesus when Jesus came thousands of years later, both of them being the Son of God, not in exactly the same form. That was an earlier lesson. But even if that was true, the image is more than a physical reflection. 
Because when Adam was made in God's image, it included his mind, his emotions, his character, his creativity, everything that we think that God has, Adam was designed to reflect. Adam was designed in that same image because when God looked at Adam, he wanted to see himself. He wanted to be able to look at a creation that would choose of its own free will to be his reflection. And so when we think of Adam in his pre-sin state, it's difficult to comprehend what it meant to be the image of God. Amen. But we know that sin took that image and twisted it and corrupted it and continues to do everything possible to remove all traces of its maker. See, that's, that's what's going on in our world. And I, this isn't in my notes, but I just feel the touch of the Holy Ghost. All this confusion about gender and about sexuality is not just a moral issue. It is a moral issue in the sense that it is against God's design, but it is a continued effort on behalf of the devil to destroy an image, to do everything possible to remove any evidence that God was ever involved in the human race. That's what sin does. Sin doesn't just destroy us and and send us to a godless eternity, but the devil is trying to remove any traces of the Creator. Amen. I got to thinking as I was studying and praying the last couple of weeks about why is idolatry such an issue with God? Why does it bother God? Why is it something that He specifically addresses and in Exodus chapter 20 we we find the record of what we know as the 10 commandments and the first four verses of Exodus 20 says and God spake all these words saying I am the Lord thy God which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt out of the house of bondage thou shalt have no other gods before me now to me that statement kind of includes anything he's the only God nobody else but he goes on to say thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above in the earth beneath that is in the water under the earth see to me no other gods kind of covers that but but god specifically addresses the idea of idolatry in deuteronomy chapter 4 it tells us that when we make an idol we corrupt ourselves Amen. You can look at that later. But you see, my understanding, in my opinion, which is probably limited, is that instead of being His image, when mankind fashions an image of their own design and their own choosing and then proceeds to worship it, even though mankind does terrible things in the worship of of idols, and you look in the Old Testament, there was human sacrifice, there was all kinds of horrific things that man did worshiping idols. Even though he does all of that, the attraction of humanity to idolatry is that I get to set the rules. I create my God and I decide how he's worshiped or it's worshiped and what it requires of me. That's really what idolatry is all about. I decide what my idol will allow me to do and not allow me to do. When Baal worship, as an example, began, somebody had to decide, probably with demonic assistance, what the rules would be. 
how you'd worship Baal, what Baal accepted, what Baal didn't accept. And every idol that's ever been made has fallen into that category where man has chosen. Because the idolatry is another way that mankind rejects God as his ruler. We heard about that through the gifts of the Spirit. Who are we serving? And it's, a, it's another way that man perverts an image that he was designed to reflect. Romans chapter 1 is, particularly the second part of Romans chapter 1, is some of the most graphic and horrible scripture in the, in the Word of God. And Romans 1 and 21 says this. It says, Because that, when they knew God, so ignorance is off the table, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were they thankful, but they became vain or empty and self-centered in their own imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became false. And this verse, verse 23 is what really caught my attention. And changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, to birds, four-footed beasts, and creeping things. You study the ancient cultures, they worshipped all kinds of weird and wonderful stuff. And some modern ones still do as well. But the first part of verse 23 says they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God. Now, I cannot reduce the glory of God. I cannot make Him less magnificent than He is. I can't say I'm going to take away from Your Majesty or make You less awesome than You are. That's impossible because it, denying that God is everything doesn't change who he is people say well i don't like a god that would do that so i'm not going to believe in him which is like getting sunburnt saying i'm not going to believe in the sun don't like the outcome so you deny its existence that's how foolish that is really amen but we were designed to reflect the glory of god so when it makes the statement that it says that we changed the glory it means that we turned our reflective surface, as it were, towards something other than God and began to represent something that had nothing to do with God. It's not saying we reduced His majesty or dethroned Him in any way. You cannot do that. You know, when we, when we get to be with Him, we're going to find out how little we grasp of how awesome He is. But when it says that we changed the glory, it's what we did to ourselves. Because when you read on the rest of Romans chapter 1, you'll see that it's a downward spiral. The image is destroyed step by step by step, and God allows man at his own choice to violate, corrupt, and destroy that image. Jesus was manifest to make a way for you and I to return to the original image and purpose. That's why he came. We read it already this morning, but John 1 and 14 says that the Word was made flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. In God manifest in the flesh, in the God-man, we saw the visible expression of the glory of God. Colossians 1.15 says that He is the image of the invisible God, firstborn of every creature. Hebrews 1 and 3, we read this in our lesson as well. It says, Who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power and on that verse goes. You see, redemption 
and restoration is the process of firstly buying us back from sin, but then transforming us back to an image. Because when we're first bought back, there's some work got to be done. It's not hard to get saved. If all we had to do was get saved, the Bible would finish at Acts 28. But it gets into the epistles because that's teaching us how to live, how to grow, how to change, how that image is molded. Amen. You see, in John 17, and this, just to go, if you read John chapter 17, Jesus is coming toward the end of his earthly ministry. Calvary is very, very near. He's been in the upper room with his disciples sharing the Passover, the meal we know as the Last Supper. He's washed their feet. He's spoken to them about how he's the vine and they're the branches and that, how they, without him they can't do anything. And then in chapter 17, he, he has a slight change and he begins to pray. And he begins to, because remembering that he was a man, God manifest in the flesh is not one part of God talking to another. It's a genuine human experience that was praying. And he is, he's basically saying, I've reached the end of what I was sent to do. I've done what I was asked to do. I've kept those that you gave me to keep, except the son of perdition, talking about Judas. And begins to talk, and it's, it's an incredibly powerful chapter. He talks about returning to the glory that he had with God in the beginning. It's not that he's going home, but it's that that, that humble manifestation has served its purpose and is coming to a close. And then there's an incredible verse in John 17 and 22 where as a part of the Lord's Prayer, he says, And the glory that thou gavest me, have I given them, that they may be one even as we are one. Jesus is declaring that to those apostles, those disciples, to his followers, that he is giving some of his glory to them. Not that they would be worshipped, but that they would reflect God as he reflected God. Amen. We sang the song Echo this morning about how we echo his authority. You know, an echo, an echo is, at least at one definition, is the repetition of a sound after the original sound has finished. That's our job. He finished what he came to do. And he said, I'm going to impart some of what I have to these people so that just as the world saw you through me, the world will see you through them. I nearly messed that up. But he said, the glory that thou gavest me, I have given unto them. Being born again makes it possible to begin to reflect Jesus. It's about change. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and uh, I gave Daniel verses 35 to 49, but it's, it's a long passage, and I might just paraphrase some of it. But 1 Corinthians 15 is sometimes known as, known as the resurrection chapter. It talks a lot about the resurrection of the dead, and Paul was obviously dealing with some people that had some issues with grasping what that was all about. And it starts out in verse 35, he says, But some men will say, How are the dead raised up, and with what body do they come? Paul very kindly says, Thou fool, thou, that which thou sowest is not quickened except to die. He uses the example of grain, of how a single grain of wheat goes into the earth. And when it comes up, it doesn't just pop a grain of wheat out of the ground, but a stalk with leaves and, and a head of grain comes out. He said, it's a different form. He said, it's, it's got to die for that to happen. And that's a powerful principle for us that if we want to see that new life, the old life has to die. Amen. And then the Lord, it goes on, it says, And God gives it a body as it's pleased Him. 
or as he's designed it to be. And then he goes on to talk about there's all the different kinds of flesh. There's fish, there's beasts, there's, there's the moon and the sun and the stars. And you can read this in your own time. And he said, so also is the resurrection of the dead in verse 42, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in, where have I lost it? Sown in weakness, raised in power. And he said, it's sown in a natural body. It's raised in a spiritual body. And he says, there's a natural body. There's a spiritual body. And he says, the first Adam was made a living soul. That's Adam from Genesis 1. Sorry, 2. Then the last Adam, which is talking about Jesus, was made a quickening or a life-giving spirit. And he said, that which was not first, which was spiritual, but which was natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. He said, the first man is of the earth, earthy. Adam was made from the dust of the ground. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are... He's saying there's two different representations here. In verse 49, he says, As we have borne the image of the earthy, we are descendants of Adam naturally, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now, this is the resurrection chapter. So this is talking to us about what will happen when Jesus returns. And you read the rest of chapter 15, it talks about mortal putting on immortality and corruptible putting on incorruption and how we shall be changed that's talking to us about the ultimate change the final change when we shall go to be with the lord as first john 3 2 tells us that we shall see him as he is and that we shall be like him amen but even now before then that's the final fulfillment but even now, He wants us to bear the image of the heavenly. He wants us to reflect Him to each other. I'll go as far as to say to each other primarily and to the world. We've been learning about the fruit of the Spirit recently. That is firstly demonstrated in the household of faith. And then it's demonstrated on the street. Because if we can get it right here, out there is easy. Amen. He wants us to reflect him that's why in mark chapter 12 where we read going back there again mark 12 13 to 17 he, they send unto him certain of the pharisees and they come to him they they're trying to trick jesus you think they'd learn after a while that that was never going to work but they said should we pay taxes or not the jews were very proud people like most of us didn't like being under anybody else's authority didn't like being under bondage or in captivity to anybody and so if Jesus would give them a way to pay in tax, they would probably think that was a good deal. But they were trying to get him into trouble. Because they were basically saying, well, if he says we have to pay tax, the people won't like him. If he says we shouldn't pay tax, then the Romans will be upset and they'll take care of him. That was pretty much the, the picture that they were going with. But as is always the way, Jesus had a third option that they weren't aware of. And he gave them that answer, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to, God's the thing, to God the things that are God's. In other words, he said, whose face and whose name is on the coin? See that, that picture that I had? That's not the picture I had. It's okay, keep these guys busy back there. It's up there somewhere. It's okay, we'll give it a minute. But I, I deliberately brought an image of what is called a denarius, which is a, a coin it's quite possibly the kind of coin that Jesus used as his example. The Caesar on there is Caesar Augustus, who was the Caesar when Jesus was born. 
about this time in Jesus' life. It was possibly another season, but the coins were probably still getting around. So that's the kind of coin that he saw. He said, whose image and whose name is on that thing? Now, it's a little bit rough. It's not perhaps as nicely made as our coins are today with the technology we have. I don't know how Augustus felt about his likeness. We're not really told. He's, you know, got a bit of a prominent nose. Roman Caesars were kind of known for the... Some of the other coins were actually worse, some of the other pictures. You'd be a bit concerned to make a bad image and get in trouble off Caesar. But whether it was a, a very accurate likeness or not, the image and the name on the coin were sufficient to identify the currency. You see, Jesus wasn't only showing the Pharisees that he was smarter than they were. But there's another principle here. The principle is this, that the currency of Caesar's world is not valid in the kingdom of God. Just as when you travel internationally, you have to prepare to either carry or exchange to the currency of your destination. And when I've traveled to Indonesia many, many times, I've never tried to use Australian dollars because it won't work. Well, it might, but I'd get a really, really bad exchange rate on the street. They'd rip me off. Because I'm in another nation. I'm under, temporarily at least, the authority of another government. And I'm operating in a different economy. Some things belong to Caesar. Some things belong to God. You see, when you're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, this is why we preach the importance of it, you're stamped with a superscription or a name. The way they made those coins was that they would have the dies or the mold and they'd have a one for each side of the coin, like we have a different image on each side of our coins, and they would get that blank, that little hot lump of metal, been warmed up, and they'd put it between them and whack. The blacksmith or whatever the tradesman's name was would hit that thing and that image would be implanted. And as you can see, it was a less than perfect system. But you see... 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 through 18 says, Now the Lord is that Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, not veiled like it was in the Old Testament, beholding as in a glass or as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are changed into that same image instantaneously and completely no from glory to glory even as by the spirit of the lord james 1 the passage you know well james 1 and 23 says for if any be a hearer of the word not a doer he's like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass for he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And continues, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. What does it mean to be blessed in your deed? We're being changed. Because we're looking into that mirror and we're not forgetting when the Lord says, hey, taps you on the shoulder. It says, all right, we've, we've taken one step. Let's have another look in the mirror. All right, let's, let's, let's work on this bit here. Let's fashion this bit here. Let's take this part out. It's not really helping the image. Let's pull this part out. And we are changed from glory to glory. 
Colossians 3 and 10 says, And have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. So when I'm looking in that mirror, when we're looking in that mirror, and we're saying, change me, Lord, which is what all of us should hopefully be praying, as we learn more about Jesus. See, it says renewed in the knowledge. Uh, so there's, there's, we learn more about Jesus. We submit more to Jesus than from glory to glory, or we would say from reflection to reflection, He is changing us into the same image. See, that's why we try to teach the Word of God as much as we can. That's why we've started our Bible class. That's why we don't just get up here and share inspirational thoughts. Because it is the Word of God that gives us the image of God that is reflected into my soul that says, you need to clean your face. How do you know you need to wash your face? You look in the mirror. How do you know you need to brush your hair? You look in the mirror. Spiritually, how do I know that God wants me to wash my face? I've got to look into a mirror and learn about Him. Knowledge is not just for knowledge's sake, but knowledge and understanding and wisdom makes us renewed after that image. The Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. They used to print this on rulers when I went to school. It's probably illegal now. But it says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The word approved here, when it says study to show yourself approved, it's not saying that we all have to pass a theological exam or go to seminary somewhere and be able to speak fluent Coin Greek and ancient Hebrew. That's not what it's talking about. The, the Greek word that is translated as approved includes in its meanings the idea of examining coins to see if they are the real thing. Whose is the image and the superscription? I need to study this book. I need to learn about him so that when I am a, approved, means that he looks at me and says, yep, you're doing a good job. You're reflecting what I want you to reflect from glory to glory, from step to step, from day to day. So when we are born again, we start a new life, but we also begin a process of getting rid of Caesar out of our lives. We get a new name. We start bearing a new image, and we become currency in his kingdom for him to spend for him to invest as he sees fit. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12 and 15, he said, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. He said, I'm willing to invest whatever I've got and to let God use me as he sees fit. That's the kind of... You know, you know why God's interested in your money? This just took a sudden change of direction. The only reason God's interested in your money is because it's pretty close to your heart. He doesn't need the money. He's got that covered. The reason that God is interested in our finances is because He knows that many of our wallets are heart-shaped. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so if He can get us to understand that His provision is more powerful than our working 38 hours a week provision, if you can trust Him, you know, it's it's amazing the struggle, but it's, it's sometimes... Why is it that we can trust Him with eternity but not with our money? 
I give you a tip which one's going to last longer. But there's something about human nature. Says, oh, God, you've saved my soul. I'm going to be with you forever. But there's the money in my pocket? Because it's connected to our hearts. Let's get back on track before everybody leaves the building. But Paul said, I will spend and be spent. He understood that he needed to be changed, to be converted, to be exchanged into a currency that would make a difference in the kingdom of God. That's why the Bible says you lay up treasures in heaven. Why? Because there's no corruption there. There's no moth, there's no rust. Nothing can corrupt that. But you become currency in the hand of God that he can spend at his will. What did the Lord say to us through the gifts this morning? Are we here presenting ourselves to serve? God, spend me. Take the Caesar out. Put a new image in. Spend me. I want to encourage somebody. This is not a conviction message. This is an encouragement message. Bear the image of Jesus and bear his superscription on your heart. The name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. That image will not be completed until Jesus comes. But I want you to understand, the world can see him in you right now. Don't be discouraged or overwhelmed by your flaws. From glory, from reflection to reflection. The world can see him in you if you will allow them to. Because we see ourselves, we say, God, I've still got so far to go. Yes, you do. The image is still half complete. Yes, it is. But the power of the Holy Ghost is such that this world can see the difference in your life even with your flaws. If you've got kids, you can probably tell stories of how they, when they were little, in kindergarten and preschool, they came home and they, you know, they've drawn something. And they bring it to you and they say, I drew a picture of you. You look at that thing, you look like you've been hit by a truck. But it's precious. And some of us, even with grown children, in a bedside drawer, in a filing cabinet somewhere, have still got these works of art that may not fetch a whole lot of money, but there's a connection with a love relationship. And as much as we are so weak sometimes and so flawed and still have so far to go, my effort to reflect him touches his heart. And he wants to change me. He's our, if you've been baptized in Jesus' name, the superscription's taken care of. The image, he's still working on. God, use me. Help me not to be in Caesar's currency. Transform me into something that makes an eternal difference. Stand with me if you would this morning. Amen. Let's invest ourselves in his kingdom. And say, God, this world is coming to pass. It's not going to be what it thinks it's going to be. But Lord, if you will change me. That was a penny. You can find one of those today. You know what it'd be? They made a lot of them, but I promise you it's worth more than a penny. And each day that you serve him, from reflection to reflection. You know, let's go back to that example of our kids. First time you let your kid do their own hair, how'd it go? First time you let them brush their teeth. First time you let them have a shower on their own. It's like, did you actually get under the water? No. But what, there's, there's an image that's being fashioned 
that's being formed. And what we do with our kids is where they come short, we make up the difference. That's the grace and the power of God this morning. Lift your hands and worship Him this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus.